0: And welcome to Marteloupe Church. Today we're going to talk about our responsibility, our responsibility for the cultural genocide that has been perpetrated against Indigenous peoples in Canada. We all know the stories by now. We're just reminded of one of the stories just now. Residential schools, the First Nations child wel- welfare fiasco, the 60s scoop, Off the charts, incarceration rates in prisons, police-related violence rates, the doctrine of discovery centuries ago that led so many Europeans with the church's imprimatur to go out and colonize the world as though it was God's will for it to happen. Papal bulls specifically saying, you can go and do this and evangelize everyone. Bulls that were truly bull. And so today we're going to talk about all of our efforts weaving their way into a system, a system that many of us have been blind to, a system that many of us don't want to believe is real, a history that we do not want to fully own, that has created generations of pain in the lives of so many indigenous peoples so many First Nations people, peoples suffering because we wanted to conquer and convert them out of their very way of being. And for that, in a very real sense, we are all culpable as members of faith communities, as Christian people. I have a friend in town, Pastor Nikayla Riza, who pastors in Boness, and on her Twitter handle, she boldly declares that she is a beneficiary of genocide. Teacher, pastor, beneficiary of genocide. Aren't we all? I've used the word so far today, cultural genocide. But then Dan and I were talking, and he pointed out that sometimes people add the cultural word into that definition to somehow make it not quite as bad and duck our culpability. And yet this week, of all weeks, on Thursday, the House of Commons unanimous consent that what happened in residential schools was genocide. by either definition, I guess, we're all still beneficiaries. We own land that was the land of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Siksika, Kanai, and Pekani, the Sutina and Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation, Region 3, and all people who made their homes in Treaty 7, this region in southern Alberta. You and I work and play and make our lives on lands where these people worked and played and made their lives, having children, caring for their communities, getting ready for winter, going on the hunt together, gathering for meals and harvest. We are supported by an economy that was founded on the economy of fur trading, that was founded on the highly skilled, generationally honed, indigenously wise capacity to hunt. Our very economy is founded on the economy of the First Nations people. And right now, we are doing church downriver from a time when the church actively participated in our country's efforts to eradicate indigenous culture. And then ripple effect of all should have been foreseen ripple effects led to genocide. I want to get rid of the Indian problem, I do not think, as a matter of fact, that the country ought to continuously protect a class of people who are unable to stand alone. Our objective is to continue until there is not a single Indian in Canada that has not been absorbed into the body politic and there is no Indian question and no Indian department. Duncan Campbell Scott, 1920, Deputy Superintendent General of Indian Affairs in Canada. And via residential schools, we, the church, played along. We agreed that indigenous peoples were not enough. We agreed that they needed to be converted out of who they were. We all thought that they needed to be converted into who we were. This is what we did. And no surprises, right? Doctrine of discovery, a church with a propensity to crusade the way we have in the past, shamefully. Churches that always try to control everybody and make everybody into their own image instead of Christ's. It's what we do when our faith falls off the rails and becomes the worst of what religion can be in our world when power the power that god has given us to steward creation in a godlike way corrupts us instead and so i believe especially after thinking about this for months that until we until i until we fully own what we've done and deeper who we are, healing with First Nations people will never come. I think we're standing in the way as Christians. Where common memory is lacking, writes George Erasmus, DNA Nation, where common memory is lacking, where people do not share the same past, there can be no real community, And where community is to be formed, common memory must be created. We need to know and share and believe to be true the same story. For reconciliation to happen, the truth must be told. And so today, we're going to do that as a church in a small way. And caveats... I am not speaking for indigenous peoples. I am not speaking to First Nations peoples. I am speaking to you, the church, and we are having an inter-church discussion. We are pulling aside and saying, "Okay, what do we have to do? Who do we have to be so that we can, knowing our culpability, knowing our sins, find a way to figure out who to be. Going forward. All right. So that's just the introduction. Um, I wrote a prayer this week that uh, as a prayer of confession, and we need to pray because <laughs> after thinking about this for the little time I have, I have no idea. And you've probably struggled with that. What What do you do? Who do you become? We pray. Um, A prayer of confession. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and the words will be up there if you want to follow along, uh, read along as I say them. Um, But join me in this prayer of confession. God of all nations, we've messed up again. We've done the unthinkable and took what wasn't ours. We made lopsided treaties with First Nations peoples and geographically, systemically, and culturally cornered them. We took children from their homes and tried to indoctrinate them. We separated little girls and boys from their moms and dads. Can you imagine that? from all they knew, from where they played, from who they were. And then we cut their hair. We buried their identity, their language, their culture, and their bodies. And then we forgot about them. We forgot what we did. God of all nations, what have we done? Help us to own our actions, to remember what happened, what you've not forgotten. Help us to name the truth fully, no matter how hard, to face all the facts about what we've done. God of all nations, hear our confession and forgive us, we pray. Change our hearts and make things right. Make us a people who won't stand in the way of you making things right. Help us to follow your reconciling lead to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, God. Help us to do whatever it takes to heal. God of all nations, creator of all peoples, Great Spirit who breathes every life, make new what only you can make new and reconcile our nations, we pray. Amen. Earlier this week I was reading through the Book of Acts which we have been studying a snapshot of the early Christian church as it was forming and was reminded of the things we've talked about so far this fall that God is a God who includes all nations strong theme in the Book of Acts a God who speaks all languages and cultures a God who respects and always has room for outsiders and, in fact, is the antithesis of everything that's in most of our human hearts in terms of welcoming outsiders and respecting and loving them, people from every tongue and tribe. And I'll confess, I was looking at the book of Acts to somehow find a text that would bump me off of this topic because this has been delayed and delayed and delayed here at this church because I was too scared Maybe to face myself and our culpability, but also just to say it wrong, to be ignorant, right? Or take on a pejorative tone, you know, be the Christian who has the plan for how we're going to resolve this again. But as I read Acts and saw, not the same story, but a familiar story of Christian people being badly mistreated by the religious establishment. I thought, oh, you have to preach on this now because of this unsettling thought. While the trauma of two peoples can never be fairly compared, the fact of historic Christian trauma begs the question, if we were treated this way, how could we ever treat others this way? In one story in Acts, a guy named Stephen was literally stoned to death for not believing the right things. Not believing what others knew was right for him to believe and what they insisted he believe along with them. And as they held rocks literally to throw at him, to stone him to death, Stephen called out to them and said these words, which to me could have easily been spoken uh, to us and to Christians and Christian residential school workers and Christians who were crusading and Christians and Christians and Christians who were trying to convert the world in these coercive, destructive, genocidal ways. These words, and you continue so bullheaded, calluses on your hearts, flaps on your ears, deliberately ignoring the Holy Spirit. You're just like your ancestors. Was there ever a prophet who didn't get the same treatment? Your ancestors killed anyone who dared talk about the coming of the just one. And you've kept up the family tradition, traitors and murderers, all of you. You had God's law handed to you by angels, gift-wrapped, And you squandered it. And what's God's law? Well, according to Jesus, it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's it when it comes to the gospel. The central teaching of Our faith tradition is love God and love your neighbor. This is how we're meant to relate to the world. This is what should define us, which makes me want to imagine if it really did, how would this story have been different? But it didn't. And both the Canadian government and the church forgot the second half of that commandment, and arguably the first, the love them as yourself part. And, and the thing that strikes me about this law of God amnesia that churches and Christians and so called Christian nations seem to always succumb to, that's happening right now around the world, isn't it? Again, we refuse to love in godlike ways we let power deceive us and blind us and then disconnect us from what's true and what's real. We we lose sight of the very humanity of people who are made in the image of God. It's incredible that we can do that, so self-deceived. We forget all the inconvenient truths of the Christian faith Truths that would bridle our actions were we to not forget them. Stories of grace in the Bible about a God who always treats us better than we deserve, never takes advantage, always keeps His promises. A A God of the Bible who always shows huge care for those on the outside, those who are in a weaker position, those who are in trouble, the last, the least, the lost the God of the, of the Bible who is always working ahead of God's people in the Bible, in cultures that aren't Christian, God's reign falling on all of the world, including, of course, including First Nations peoples. We, we forgot about a God who was already there when we first came here. We forgot that a doctrine of creation in a Christian worldview believes that the great Holy Spirit made and profoundly shaped indigenous culture and held it over its history. Loved it. Going to school at U of A on that free course that I sent you the link for, you should take that course, invest 20 hours of your life in that of course, I learned that there's a First Nations creation sc- story, Sky Woman. And then a fall of creation story, where Wasazajak the trickster, fell, caused a fall. And then there's a rain-flood story, to clean and make things new with only four survivors. And then there's a repentance story, where Wasazajak weeps at his failure. And then a salvation story, coming through the weakness and smallness of a muskrat renewing all the land. did, Did you know this? I didn't know this. The Holy Spirit already weaving a faith narrative before us Christians ever showed up. And when we think we're right, then we think we know it all. And when we think we know it all, then our vision starts to fade. And when our vision starts to fade, our hearing starts to fail. And when our hearing and vision start to fail, our memories just start to lapse. And what should have been remembered just falls into oblivion. And in that mindless, forgetful, self-protecting, prideful place, we think we're superior to those heathens, more advanced above others. And this is the part that was killing me as I was reading Acts, (laughs) was that so much of what we did, we did thinking we were doing the right thing. So we're capable of being fooled, of fooling ourselves, to that degree, and we're, we're still capable of that, and the church is still doing that. And human beings, me included, are still doing that. I, I always do the right thing for the right reasons. Those religious leaders in Acts, they, they thought they were doing the right thing, <laughs> killing a man for not believing the right things. Christians can sometimes be so convinced they're right, they'll hurt anybody. And this is who we are, and this is who I am. And this is who the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, wrote half of the New Testament, was, is, was. As he began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This was before he had his Road to Damascus experience. Put men and women in prison and left kids alone? He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was so right and so superior. How do you save a person like that? How in the world can truth and reconciliation ever really come to Canada? And who do I need to become? Who do we need to become to give it at least a chance of coming to our country? And here again, I feel like I'm getting onto thinner ice because... That question, I want to answer that with, okay, we'll figure out the answer and we'll take control of the process and we'll define what it needs to be and we'll be in charge of all of that. And what we need to let happen is what happened to Paul. The only way that it could change a heart like his was what happened. A road to Damascus moment where Jesus looks us in the eye and says, what is up with you? It's me you're persecuting. Can you imagine if early, abusive Christian voices and presence in residential schools on day one of classes Jesus shows up and says that to them? We persecute people and cultures that were made by Jesus Christ. So who do we become? We become like Jesus Christ. Ironically, in the story of Paul, after he met Christ on that Damascus road and was blinded, literally physically blinded by the light of the truth that Jesus shone on him that day, which is delicious, isn't it? The guy who knew everything and saw it all clearly couldn't see anymore. And I thought, that's what I need. That's what we need. The church needs to be so exposed to the light of Christ that we are blinded and can then finally acknowledge that we can't see a thing. And all we've ever done is get in the way or slow you up, God, breathing out our murderous threats. So now I, th- I think we need to stand down even more than we're standing down. If you follow the news for the last 10 years, you can see how the government and the church were stepping back and quit bringing solutions and quit leading the process and trying to change and include everybody at the table, equal partners in this conversation. I think we need to stand down even more than we've been standing down. We need to quit colonizing every conversation and admit that we're we're so prone to messing it up that we're just going to put our hands over our mouths and listen for the next five years. And then in the God part of Paul's story, of course, Paul isn't left there in the dark for the rest of his life. God gives Paul his sight back by sending one of those who he was oppressing to heal him. The more I think about the mess we're in here, I think we ought to wait those five years and just let the healing come to us. What if we wholeheartedly and genuinely loved our indigenous neighbors as we love ourselves enough to let them lead the whole process? Let those we've hurt set the agenda. What if you, maybe you have a kid at school who is of an indigenous background, right, in your grade school? Let that little girl touch your eyes. What if you let one of those residential school boys, the man narrating the video, touch your ears? Whenever it's right for that to happen, not according to our demands, our schedules, in whatever way that's meant to happen, however they choose those we've hurt. And again, this is a posture that should come natural to us as people of faith. What is God's grace apart from we can't fix ourselves? Come fix us, Lord. Humble us. Make us small enough, childlike enough to see what happened to these children. Isn't this what Jesus did? Became a child, submitted. We need to receive a healing that can only be given. And for that, we need the love of God. And I'm beginning to realize that I need to name more fully and understand more clearly and be receptive of the love of God as it's already been there and is there in the ways of indigenous culture. And over the last five years, I've just had moments where I've been like totally surprised by the grace out there that's being extended, spoken, acted upon by First Nations people towards us settler folk here in Canada. When I was learning about Indigenous law a few months ago, I realized that the legal system of Indigenous peoples' restorative justice model would be a better model for processing our colonizing crimes. As a settler person, I'd rather be dealt with within their system than our system, our harshly punishing system. I mean, who wouldn't want to be judged by a group of people whose primary goal is to restore you into you again? and to bring healing for all parties, and mental, spiritual renewal, and then a re-inclusion into community. Who who wouldn't rather trust a process, a system, that is non-adversarial, non-prescriptive, and non-punitive? The goal of indigenous law is always the restoration of relationship. And on another day, in another lecture, when I learned about the indigenous view of land, it, it was just another encouraging moment. If, if the First Nations view of land ownership, which is, why would you own land? You can't carry it around with you. If the First Nations view of ownership is indeed collective versus private, then maybe there's room for all of us to live together. Wh- whose worldview? would bring reconciliation. Ours of walling off private communities, mine, 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 or an indigenous worldview of collective sharing and residing on the land. A lot more room to be all one tribe in the indigenous worldview. And if there are hearts and minds like former Canadian senator and Truth and Reconciliation Commission leader, Murray Sinclair, of the Ojibwe people, every time I hear Murray Sinclair speak on the CBC, on the radio, on TV, there is always a grace there and a gentle wisdom. And, and uh, should, me, should you really be that gracious to us-ness about Him, a grace I often think I don't deserve, but still leaves me hopeful. In an article for the Calgary Herald in 2010, he wrote these incredible words. While the Truth and Reconciliation Commission heard many experiences of unspeakable abuse... We have been heartened by testimonies which affirm the dedication and compassion of committed educators who sought to nurture the children in their care. These experiences must also be heard. Like, Are you kidding me? Wh- whose heart is big enough to say that? Whose wisdom is that deep? I mean, he saw face-to-face Day after day, week after week, month after month, story after story of lives destroyed, and still he can see some of the good in some of those educators. I mean, how God-like is that? And I think this is how it needs to be. We need to be renamed. We need to go through a process of healing. We need to hear the word reconciled spoken. But we need to let all of that happen at the lead of others. We need to receive those things as gifts. And again, that ought to ring a bell if you're a Christian. God renames you despite crucifying his son, Christian people. God sees the good in you still, even after all of that. And God knows, of course, the way to make things right. God is the first cause and the first voice and the first speaker of the word reconciled. And if this is who God is, then surely we can stand down and be receptive to the lead of those we've hurt for however long it takes for that restoration to come. Even as you wait on God for so many things to be reconciled in your life, in your heart, we can wait here too. All right, let's say a prayer and then we're going to sing a couple of songs. It took generations for us to get to this place, God. And for all we know, five years won't be near enough. Perhaps for generations, we need to be quiet, for generations, we need to cry. For generations, we need to work at practical, personally <laughs> involved ways of, of, of doing and becoming who we need to be and responding to the reconciliation process that comes to us. Generations for us to do that, to, to work this thing out of our, our, our Canadian system, our global system. So whatever it takes, God, um, we pray that your spirit that's always held all people from all tongues and tribes would continue to hold all people now and make a way so that there will be freedom and truth and beauty and goodness and grace and opportunity and food and clean water and educational opportunities, and freedom from incarceration for all peoples. This we pray. In Jesus' name.